Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24 7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. This episode, post game Indiana podcast. Uh, trying to read the room a little bit. So we'll talk a little bit less about the stats and the ins and the outs because Michigan got stomped 38 to 21, never led the entire game. I think they tied uh, once pretty much down by double digits the entire game. Crazy how we kind of pushed the button and said last week was Michigan's worst loss under Jim Harbaugh. And we're we're like, we don't think it's particularly close. And then they come back and now there's a debate. (laughs) I don't know which one was was worse. Uh, I think given what Michigan State looked like today probably that one was worse same time first time the wolverines have lost to indiana since 1987 snapping a 24 game win streak i mean you're getting to the point where it's almost two generations ago uh you know if you think about like they're recruiting guys who were what 20 years anyway long long time it was a road ranked road loss so i mean it's not if it had just been this game, I don't think Michigan would be, it'd be more Indiana's good, but there's a lot to unpack on Michigan's side, two straight losses. They've now lost four out of their last five games. And so we'll start a little bit specific to this game. We will get big picture. We have some fill in the blanks. We have a new feature uh, kind of speaking to where Michigan has is at as a program. It's called the temperature check where we check the temperature of the seats of some of the biggest names involved with Michigan football programming note. Unless things change, we plan on having a bit of a state of the program podcast on uh, later on this week. So we'll have our preview of the Wisconsin game. That might be a little bit shorter, uh, but we'll have a state of the program talking about kind of all the different We'll field your questions and then we'll bring up some of our own, all the different parts about kind of the 30,000 foot view of, of things in terms of coaching, um, you know, like long-term changes, not just week to week stuff, but we'll stick to the week to week stuff for now. Steve, we'll start with, um, (laughs) we were joking about before the show that you could go in a million different directions, but we both predicted Michigan to, to win, not necessarily a dominant win, but we expected Michigan to, to leave Bloomington with a win. What was the most surprising part to you? A lot of things were similar to last week, so it might not be something that necessarily it might almost be a lack of change, but what's something kind of going into what you thought this game was going to be that you really were just like, well, that wasn't there at all. Yeah. I mean, they're about like four, to 12 things <laughs> that I could probably point at. I mean, the penalties, the running game, granted, I know they're missing Mayfield Oof. and Hayes, but even, even then you talk yeah. about Indiana's defensive front supposed to be the weakest point of maybe their entire team. 
Mine's the penalties. I mean, it's it's it got to a point. It got to a point where even the you know it's bad when the announcers are like actively because I know you were there, so you probably didn't hear it live. But Brock Heward, the uh, color analyst for the game, got to a point where they did call up offensive pass interference on Indiana. I think in the third or fourth quarter, and even Heward said. You know, it's like Michigan fans are holding their breath at this point, to, hoping that the flag isn't going to be thrown. Well, did you them. see how, was it green? How he reacted to the flag? Yeah, it was, well, because he, I think at that point, I, I suspect Michigan was a little frustrated. Um, yeah. Because it was the right call. That was offensive pass interference. But again, doesn't take away from the just horrible penalties earlier in the game the offside stuff that's like day one football type stuff that Michigan was making huge mistakes on and Indiana scored what three touchdowns two for sure on free plays I want to say it was three just inexcusable mistakes and I so I think I guess my biggest takeaway was is it it did not look like Michigan was prepared again. And it's just mind-boggling. Year six or whatever, you can say that you can go with the year six first. I'm going with this is supposed to be a talented, good football team. Coaches, you have coaches who have coached the game for years and years. These guys are making juvenile, like, like Pop Warner-type mistakes. Yeah, jumping off sides. It was, I mean, it got to a point where Indiana, I mean, it was, there were two or three times that they got back before Indiana snapped the ball. I mean, this oh, could, yeah. have been, yeah. could have been eight or nine, legitimately could have been eight or nine off, offsides calls in this game on Michigan if Indiana had snapped the ball upon Michigan's jump. And I just, I've, I don't know if I've ever, I don't remember the last time I've ever seen that in a college football game. And it's like, and again, I, I'm going back to Brock Heward, who, Honestly, as a guy that's called a lot of Michigan games in the past, really appreciated his candor and blunt <laughs> speak when talking about Michigan today because he really went in constantly and, and said, like, this is like, these are mistakes that high school teams don't make. Yeah. No, I mean, JV high school football, they're like, do nothing else. Just watch the ball. Yes. And that's, and that's what it was, was, you know, and, and it was Michigan too busy worried about the, the clap and not watching well, the football throughout the game. Okay. I, I, I was curious because you say worried about the clap. I think that they thought they knew something. I think they thought that they had figured out Indiana's snap count. Well, they, they, they were did, wrong. They didn't. Yeah. Because what you <laughs> noticed, you noticed in the second half, it, it wasn't nearly sure. as big. Yeah. Well, but it, but I mean that's that was after what five, you yeah. know. At that point, it's like now it's just like okay, just watch. Just now it's just literally watch the ball. Like you know, it had to be at that point. So because the way like like uh, I saw Cameron Grown and Barrett and Hawkins, the way they were kind of they also showed their blitzes too, thinking they knew Indiana snap count. I don't. Indiana must have very smartly changed their snap count for this week. I don't sure, sure. <laughs> but like the way, the way like McGrone was blitzing, he was actually the one guy who I felt was able to like 
realize at the last second, oh, that ball's not getting snapped when I think it is. I'm going to slow down. But yeah, it just seemed like they wanted to like get on the run a few times, which is like, it can be an advantage if it works. It's kind of like stealing third base. Sure. It's like, okay, cool. If you have like the right player and the timing's right and you catch the other team off guard, it works, but it's not worth it. I mean, you're still scoring from second on a single anyways. Yep. So that was, so, but that was my, it was startling, I guess was the best way to put it coming off of an embarrassing loss, which the embarrassment is compounded by the fact that Michigan state got absolutely obliterated by an Owen two Iowa team, (laughs) right? Lombardi Lombardi threw no touchdowns, three interceptions. And I think Ricky white had one catch for 22 (laughs) yards late. It was, and that was in the fourth quarter when the, when the game had already been decided, you know? And, and, and so I, I think it's just, it was startling to me. So you're saying Ricky White's statue is going to go next to Jalen Watts Jackson statue. <laughs> I, mean, it, I, yeah, I think, I think that's, I think that is where I, and I, you know, I had, a, I actually, and I think most of us, I actually thought I would, would, would beat Michigan state. Didn't know it'd be that bad, but either way, their performance today to me compounds the embarrassment and the, just the surprise at how disappointing Michigan looked and how unprepared they kind of looked. I mean, I'd even go as far as thinking like a Giles Jackson, like completely misplaying a kickoff, which didn't end up hurting them because it still bounced into the end zone. But just like you start to, you start, I don't know if it's a deal where when they're really struggling that you just start to notice everything that's not good, but I don't know if Indiana scored. I was at their field goal or on one of their touchdown kickoffs where Jackson just completely misjudged it. Ball went mm-hmm. right through his hands or it tipped his hand or something. And like I said, luckily for him, it bounced through the back of the end zone and just ended up being a touchback, but just, just sluggish, just struggled, just did not mentally look prepared or in the game at all. And that, to me, that's again, coming off of, an increasingly embarrassing loss to a rival at home is just maddeningly dis- like if you're a fan you have so much right to be just disappointed in, in how Michigan looked today for sure yeah yeah i think that's correct um <laughs> as for me most surprising i mean the on field one is probably the run game i i mentioned before the game I was like, Michigan needs to bring its run game. And I mentioned that because I thought they would have a pretty, they would have a good chance. They had a bit of a mismatch. Indiana's defensive tackles prior to this game did not look particularly good. Um, Obviously being down two offensive linemen, that kind of lowers the, the threshold a little bit, but still 18 carries for 13 yards and averaging 2.2 yards per carry if you take away the sacks. You know, we talked, I said, I mentioned Zach Charbonnet as a player to watch. Yeah, he led the team in yards per carry uh, because he had one carry for four yards. You know, Chris Evans, three for five. Blake Corum, two for negative three. Hassan Haskins, six for 19. That is just, I don't, what do you even do? Yeah. We talked before the season, and 
You can pin that on us if you want. I pin it on the team because they gave off the impression in press conferences pretty much universally that they felt like they had three to four starter caliber running backs and maybe even three to four guys who would end up being drafted someday. And this is the second week in a row where that, if, if that's how they feel, that is exclusively to practice because that is not showing up in games. And so that's, that's probably the one because like I, you, you knew Indiana was going to be able to throw the ball. Uh, probably maybe not 342 yards necessarily. You know, I, I, I do think I didn't see that many penalties coming. I, I did anticipate some penalties, not the, not the false start stuff. I agree with you there. But as far as schematics go, it, it has to be just the lack of a, of a run game. I mean, is Michigan ever going to win a football game where they only run for 13 yards? I mean, it's got to be some crazy like 10-7 fluky type game. They're certainly not beating a team if they're giving up 38 points and they're rushing for 13 yards. I, I would put $1,000 down that they will never win a game like that. But as far as the non-schematic, if I can add one, as far as surprising, it's kind of what you said. They didn't look like they wanted to play football for for like a good four or five drive stretch there in the in the first and second quarter. And they did. They 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 did want to play football. I'm not saying they like literally didn't look like they wanted to play football, but man. Indiana was playing like like they wanted to make history, to have an upset, to you know make their season worth something, uh, like they needed to play football, like that was their lifeblood. And Michigan kind of, and, and this is not necessarily the on-field stuff. This is the body language on the sidelines. This is the third week in a row where I see Michigan's opponent jumping up and down. I mean, Indiana, they were holding up folding chairs. I don't know what that was about, but they're, they're holding up folding chairs. I think it was their, their theme of the week was elevate. I think that's what it was related to. Um, you know, the coaches are like high-fiving, going nuts after every single play. And Michigan's just kind of standing there. And for a team that just, just got embarrassed at home to its rival, you know, and I, I wondered if, that, if something like that had a chance of occurring because when I asked um, players on Monday, last Monday, like kind of, was there any like players only meetings, any speeches that anybody gave? And they're all kind of like, no, not really just focus on, you know, keeping, keeping our heads up and focusing on the next game. I wondered, I, I it just, there was a part of me that wondered if there would be some lethargy. I didn't think it was going to be like that. I mean, I, if that's Michigan's bounce back effort coming off of the worst loss it's had in six years, it's going to be a long season because Indiana's probably among the better. They're showing that they're probably among the better teams Michigan will play this year, but I don't know. There's a lot of teams that would love to beat Michigan. Right. <laughs> and if Michigan is going to play, I mean, I said it in the story I I wrote where if, if they're going to play like they would rather be barbecuing in the parking lot outside, then 
that's the result they're going to get. I mean, you in this this kind of season, you don't get to show up to the game and expect to win because you're Michigan and because you have talent and because you, um, you know, have this advantage, that advantage. I mean, this season, every every week. I mean, think about all the upsets we see every day, including the game right after Michigan with Maryland. And Penn State's kind of going through the same thing Michigan is, where it's like we're not hearing about it though. We're not hearing about it nationally, but they are. They're owing Penn State's own three right now, but yeah. But the bottom line is Michigan. Michigan had a, I think it was like a 30 minute stretch where they just, they didn't look like they wanted to be there. They gained like 24 yards of offense in four drives. They allowed 17 unanswered points. And you mentioned a lot of the mental, you know, like the literal like penalties. There's also blown assignments, um, you know, blown coverages, blocks that they could have done that they didn't, you know, guys trying out of bounds a little earlier. And then I go back to the body language. You know, if Indiana was playing like, like this was the last game they were ever going to play with each other. And it's just... I don't know. It shouldn't be that that apparent the difference, uh, and so that's surprising. I, I again the context of the game, Michigan's on the road, um, you know, hungry to, for a bounce back win. Can kind of visualize maybe this is their chance to go on a run. Not so much, not so much. So anyway, next fill in the blank. Wait, hold on. So oh, go ahead. What's worse is Michigan would have had to anticipate that Indiana was going to play with their hair on fire today. That's kind of the other thing right? about it. Yeah. <laughs> is we would have, if, if, if there had been a crowd in Bloomington today or college game day had showed up or whatever, like, and they said the, uh, the play by play team said this before the game, this was probably the biggest game for Indiana in decades. And that was right. It should have been. They're ranked higher than they have been in 30-plus years. They hadn't beat Michigan since 87, all that stuff. So if you're Michigan, you would have to anticipate that. You have to match that energy, and and I agree. I mean, I wondered if the energy stuff was a little overblown, but after seeing it today, it, it, it was clear as day, you know, that it's it's lacking, and it's like it's lacking to the point where it's like I think it is impacting their play in the field. And what's weird on top of that even is, and this is the part of, to me, that's to be is the biggest mystery of all this stuff is, and we don't know what the other, other programs did in the spring and summer after the pandemic started or whatever, but we, we know, I know Sam knows that everyone on our site knows like the planning that Michigan staff put in the work whether at home or in Ann Arbor, whatever, that all the players put in individually on their own time just to A, stay safe, and B, stay in good enough shape to be ready in case there was going to be a season this year. And then to see them just look as flat and, again, not uninterested because I'm with you. I, I agree. It's like to say that they didn't want to be there would be too strong, but like that's just how it comes off when you're watching. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. It makes zero sense when you consider 
how hard these guys worked just to stay safe and to get themselves or keep themselves in playing condition. And, you know, for the, for the, cause there's a long period of time there. We didn't even think the big 10 was going to play this year. And these guys were, whether, you know, it was like a guy like Blake Corum in Baltimore or Chris Evans in Indianapolis or Giles Jackson out West. Like these guys were putting in the wow, putting in the hours, putting in the time and the coaching staff set great guidelines, put in a great plan to keep the kids, to keep these guys safe. You know, and it's like the whole thing, the whole operation just seemed so efficient, so well run that I think my biggest thing was I thought Michigan would be better prepared going yeah. into their game this every almost every game this season compared to their opponent because it just seemed like they were so on top of the ball as far as like okay this situation that nobody ever thought would have arisen has has arisen how do we you know how do we keep this? How do we keep our players afloat? How do we like keep things going as normal as possible in case we get to play? And it felt like Michigan was all over it. And now, like, then you see the way they come out and play, the way they look just, just visibly. And it's like, it, that's another part that just blows my mind. And it's just, that's the really to me, that's the biggest mystery, you know, because these guys did. They put in hours and hours, coaches put in hours and hours just for the chance to play. And now it's like you said, it almost looks like they don't even want to be out there. Like it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And to be clear, that goes back to last week. That is not a, they lost to Michigan state. So they're deflated coming into Indiana. That's how they looked last week too, for some reason against a rival, you know? And it's just, so the whole thing is just mysterious. It's odd. You know, just a lot of it doesn't make any sense. That is crazy to add that context of, how two weeks ago we're talking this is a team full of leaders that's super together that you know just really wants a season that just enjoys football it's it's baffling and and then you start to wonder and again we could have this discussion for five hours if we wanted start to wonder why that is the case Uh, but one one stat if there was one to me i've always looked at third downs and fourth downs is kind of like the what do you do when both teams really want something or are supposed to really want something kind of the put up or shut up plays Indiana on offense on third and fourth downs was 11 for 20 and Michigan was three for 11. And so some of that's schematic, but I think, I think there are certain plays in a football game that are like kind of like a, a face off in, in hockey where it's like, someone's just going to end up wanting it more. And, and it just seemed like Indiana wanted it more. And, and as a result, they got the win. Indiana 26 and a half percent on third down going into today's game. I know at one point today, they were seven for 11 on third down. Mm -hmm. Many of which were not short distance third downs either. Yeah. You know, I just, just mind-boggling, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just no other no other way to say it. All right. So with with that said, we'll continue discussing it, but we'll we'll add some other fill in the blanks here. Steve, next one. Michigan's biggest problem right now is blank. And I guess I said biggest, but it could also be the hardest problem for Michigan to fix right now. 
Mine has to be, it's got to be the interior of the defensive line. Indiana really didn't even have to try to run the ball today. And Stevie Scott still had his most productive game of the season, let alone the fact. Here's the thing is like, yes, Michigan's corners did not play well again today. And yes, teams are just taking quick step backs and throwing the ball up in the Mm -hmm. air. But at the same time, Michigan is not Michigan is actually with the the pressure that the semi pressure they've been getting on the edge and then the complete lack of pressure they've gotten in the interior. They're actually helping create the pocket for opposing quarterbacks to step up and put some momentum into those deep balls. Right. Because the thing is, like, yes, they haven't gotten they've had zero sacks the last two games. It's not just a sack situation it's that they're they had a a handful of plays today i think where the interior i think carlo kent made a couple plays on the interior Uh, you know there were a couple drives there where it looked like michigan's defensive line was starting to make some kind of impact and of course ironically enough that's when they were kind of slowing indiana's offense down but not in not nearly on a consistent enough basis uh i'd still i just have not seen enough out of Chris Hinton, Donovan Jeter. Uh, again, not. it's not about getting to the quarterback and getting the actual sack. It's about at least making the guy feel uncomfortable enough to where the timing might be just, just off enough to allow guys to make a play. You know, and so to me, and that, that's where, to me, that's the biggest problem because it's multifaceted. It's not just about the throws. It's about... They're going to start. They're going to be playing teams that know how to run the football going forward. Yeah, there's Wisconsin. Not so sure about Penn State right now, but obviously Ohio State. It's like these teams know how to run the football effectively, and so it's going to get to a point where like offenses are really going to be able to do whatever they want. Because right now, it's really it's been hasn't been pick your poison. It's been okay. We'll just throw the ball, make Michigan try to stop it. They're going to be. They're going to play teams going forward that are going to be able to gash them either way, and then the corners, who again rightfully criticized for their play again today, but it's going to get to a point where like they're going to be completely lost because they're going to get sucked into defending the run after teams are running the ball down Michigan's throat, and then they'll get beat deep, or they'll just get beat deep. I mean, it's just a lose lose situation. So. To me, Michigan's got to find something on the interior. And, you know, this all – another discussion for another time. Probably at the end of the day, this all goes back to recruiting. And, uh, you know, because, again, I don't know where Michigan's going to get their answer. I, I just – I really still think yeah. that Chris Hinton has to be the guy to step up. He's the young young buck, probably the most talented guy they have up there. I mean, he's a guy that's got to take some leaps forward at this point if they're going to have any chance at – uh, beating any of the decent teams left in their schedule. And we see, yeah, Maryland throttled Penn State today, two weeks after getting beat by 40 <laughs> by Northwestern. So who the hell knows what's going to happen when they play Maryland. And Rutgers doesn't look like a pushover. It's on the road, too. Yeah, and Rutgers doesn't look like a pushover at this point either. You don't think they're making that their Super Bowl? Right, That exactly. And that's, what, that's one of the problems of being Michigan is, you know, teams are going to, go all out to defeat Michigan. Um, 
you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a problem that's going to go away. That's for sure. I, like I said, though, I think, and you know, he was one of the five players I was watching today is I think Hinton's got to be the guy to step up and, and start making some plays in the middle. Yeah, that's a good one because it's, it's funny. You mentioned it goes back to recruiting and we're not going to start that discussion, but it's like, you're not going to get a higher recruit than Christopher Hinton. I mean, he was a five-star. He was at least, at least a top 50, I think, unanimously. And they have, they, they've recruited well enough, I would say. I mean, there's been, sure, there's been some misses, but I, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, you just have to produce. I, I think Chris, the, Chris, Chris was the 31st ranked player in the country. Yeah. Five-star prospect. Where was he uh, ranked among defensive tackles? Oh, I mean, he said 31st. He was fourth in the country at dt yeah um, he's not, not there yet we'll no and not, again, not to dog on him i was but. gonna say to be clear i'm not even it's it's not even really i'm not even trying to pick on him at all it's more i think he's the guy that can can be the change i suppose is really what i'm trying to say he's the guy that's capable of being sort of the agent of change for them up front because you know, I, I, it's kind of feels a little bit late for Donovan Jeter to become dominant, right? All of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And I also got to believe that Carlo Kemp is Carlo Kemp at this point too. Uh, good player, but not somebody who's going to change the game in the middle for them, right? And and so it's less about saying like, oh, you know, Hinton hasn't done anything. It's more about, I think he can be the catalyst if they are going to fix things there. Maybe Welsh off too, actually, because he's shown yeah, it. In I flash- thought, I was yeah, I say. he's shown it in flashes as well. You know, so those two guys, I think, are really important for Michigan to finish out this season and then really going forward at this point. Oh, I don't I don't know. I don't envy anybody involved in Michigan's defense right now, because I think you bring up. I think to me, a lot of it comes down to that defensive line, um, not just the play the performance but i don't know about you steve i felt like they didn't even try to be creative or deceptive with the blitzes it just seemed like they were like assuming that they would create push because on paper they have an advantage over india and indiana's offensive line um you know didn't see a lot of crosses or stunts or or whatever just seemed like it was a lot of i'll run it this lineman, you run at that lineman and we'll see if we knock somebody over. It was just kind of, kind of a, an interesting approach, but um, yeah, I think the, the toughest thing for Michigan to fix right now is whatever they did for six months. I mean, it's the longest off season. It was more than that. It was 10 and almost 10 whole months. I mean, it just didn't prepare Michigan for the season. You know, their, their cornerbacks are are not ready. They're, I mean, you could probably run through every position group other than quarterback. And I mean, Brad Robbins had a pretty good game and punter. Every position group has something that's like glaringly wrong. And, and granted, that's going to happen when you're a one and two football team. But yeah, I just, you, you start to wonder what, what was, what was being worked on in practice because they talked a lot about this after the game today in the press conferences is that they feel like this stuff's working in practice. And so maybe that's the biggest problem is 
okay, whatever's working in practice is not translating to games. And that's not unique to Michigan. That's not a Michigan only thing, but I feel like that's pretty significant, you know, cause, cause I remember I correct me if I'm wrong in 2017, you could kind of get a catch a vibe that Michigan knew it wasn't quite as good as it was going to be, or as it had been, you know, in, in the way the team was talked about and the way, um, the season was talked about, you know, there was, they've talked about the challenges and, and kind of some of the stuff. This team didn't have that kind of talk. You know, they had a lot of like team of destiny, so many veteran leaders, so much togetherness, so much oneness. And I don't necessarily think that was wrong, but I think along with that excitement, I don't know if my expectations were shifted too high or fans were or what, but I mean, they just, you could run through the list, probably start at corner, go to defensive tackle, you know, hit up defensive ends, safeties, linebackers, go over to the offensive side of the ball. Again, pretty much everywhere but quarterback and and punter. It's just whatever, whatever was supposed to be working in practice has not made it to games. And that's, that, that's almost worse. If you're, if you're Michigan, then, Hey, it's not working in practice either. I, maybe that, you know, you could, you could debate that, I guess, but to me, it's like whatever, something, something is amiss in that they, they feel like they have something being productive in practice. They feel like whatever, you know, the man and, and the schemes and the zone schemes and, uh, you know, the different blitz packages, the snap count readings, you know, running the football, um, you know, all the different things that are ailing them in games, they're not ailing them in practice. And so I don't know. I mean, if you're Jim Harbaugh, and if you're Don Brown, we'll talk about those two in just a moment, but like you walk into practice Monday, what exactly do you do? Where, you know, what do you, what do you say? Well, this, this has to be fixed. If, if, it, if it's allegedly working in practice, which they say it is, that's uh, hard, well, to, hard to sell that. He's like, dude, that is the last thing that fans want to hear right now. Is oh yeah. Oh, it, sure. Oh, it's working in practice. So, and it's like, I, yeah, I didn't, know? I didn't love that. That's what they kind of stuck. I, I agree. I, I agree. The, stuck the stake in. Right? It was mostly Jim Harbaugh to be clear. I, I think the players, I mean, they're going to say that. And, and to be fair, anyone who's, been to a football practice a lot of stuff works in practice like you know the the Hassan Haskins uh jump ball pass to Carter Selzer works in practice um you know the all the fluky trick plays we never see in games work but I I just I don't know that's it just seems like Michigan last the last two weeks I think it's game plan and I think it's body language and I think kind of how the first quarter unfolded. I think both games, they thought they were going to steamroll Michigan state and Indiana. And how, how could you think that like, how could you assume you were going to do that against Indiana after struggling? That's, you know what I mean? Cause right? I agree. Oh, absolutely. And, and I yeah. agree with what you're saying, especially you talk about like the telegraph blitzes and stuff. I feel like they, the, it's like there was an assumption that on a man to man basis, they were just going to be stronger. Yes. How on earth 
runs up the middle on second down. Yeah. Yeah. Then that's yes. How on earth do you think, did you feel like you could just, you know, could you approach it like that? But it's true. And this is to their detriment. If not, it's like whether that was the intention or the belief on their end or not, it sure came off that it comes off that way with the, the schematics, the play calling, mm-hmm. um, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. We'll talk about offense, offense a little bit, but like particularly on the defensive side of the ball where it's like, you know, yeah, it just, it second week in a row. And, and here's the thing. And that's maybe that's why, but it's like, they should be beating them man to man. Like, in a, you know, Indiana, Michigan yeah. state, they should be winning those battles. Uh, but they, but they weren't, you know, but the, idea that they might have been assuming they would you know probably that's part of why they didn't yeah. well but it's a belief that definitely like i said it's a belief that perpetuates itself based on what we've what we see in watching the game we don't know exactly the mentality the preparation all that stuff but it sure right. comes off that way the way that you watch them play and the way that they're being coached to play you know mostly again mostly on the defensive side of the ball in my opinion but either way Mm-hmm. Uh, real quick before we hit a break most fixable problem for Michigan right now is there is of the main big problems is there something you think it might be a few things that actually can be fixed because they don't get to you know there's no mid-season trades in college football there's you know you can change your starters but you know the coaches had a lot of time to figure out who the starting lineup was I don't mean to, I understand fans don't want to hear, oh, the coaches think this, but same time, they spent how many hours a week figuring out who the starter. So, you, so maybe you change the starting lineup. Maybe you change your philosophy at, in one scheme of the game. Anything stand out as a fixable big time problem for Michigan? Honestly, it was like nobody wants to hear anything positive right now period i don't think but oh yeah sure sure right but i honestly i'm not down on joe milton so we said uh, we our preseason podcasts i think that i said this on the board uh, a few days ago is like my exact phrase was that there were going to be ups and downs but that the ups would outweigh the downs i actually still feel that way you know i know He's missed some passes because the, the, the thing that I was getting at earlier when I said we'll talk about the offense was I don't actually think Josh Gaddis called that bad of a game today. I think Milton missed a lot of open receivers and a couple okay. that probably would have gone for touchdowns. But I still think that there's something there with Joe Milton. Like, I don't think that he is in the top five reasons that Michigan is one and two right now. Um one horrible throw that led to his first interception. Second interception, I felt like, was just a guy trying to make a play to get some points on the board to get Michigan back in it late in the game. I mean, I'm not going to knock him that badly on the uh, the second interception, but I still think that there's a lot there. Uh, I think he's going to get better and better as the season goes on. So I I, I guess he'd probably kind of be the, the direction I would point. You know, it's like I we've seen he's made some amazing throws, amazing plays. The one thing, and I don't know if this is in his control or out of his control, is you know, it's like there were two two plays or two things in this game. One was a play. It was like the late dump off to Corum was like, well, where has that been? 
Yeah. Since the first play of the season for them feels like an easy potential, at least five, six, seven yards. Um, But then also just Michigan felt like, and again, we know that Minnesota kind of stinks now, so it doesn't mean as much, but still Michigan state stinks too. So I didn't understand like the, the way that Michigan is using Milton in the run game because it sure looked like they gave Minnesota a lot of different looks and a lot of different packages as far as how they would use Milton to run the football. And the last two games, it kind of seems like they've gone away from that a little bit as far as the design stuff goes. So I don't know. I, I, I still think there's something there with Milton. I can see where the criticism lies, you know, because I, I do think he's still not throwing the ball accurately enough. Um, today being the best example of that. I actually, I thought today probably was, it's weird because he had a, he averaged 20 yards of completion just about. I mean, it was the, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. But did think it today was by far his most inconsistent game. And that's not just because of the two interceptions, just the throws were a little off. I mean, we talked about last week against Michigan state. He really should have had about a 75% completion rate um, with a bunch of drops, but, but yeah, I, I still think there's something there. I guess. So I think that's fixable. I think that's something that as the year goes on, I think Milton's going to get better and better. And I think it'll become more of an asset for Michigan. Sure. Yeah. By the way, his stats today, he was um, 18 for 34 for 344 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions, passer rating of 155.3 in college. I often look at 150 as kind of your baseline. If you were above that, had an above average day, Below that, probably wasn't a very good day. So he ended up being above it because he had some big-time connections. I mean, I think you mentioned, yeah, he averaged eight, 19.1 yards per completion. I actually think if you go position group by position group, maybe receiver beats him out. But I, I actually think he's the least of Michigan's problems right now. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I, I think you have a good point. I'd say the same thing about the skill position group. Uh, the youth there certainly can't be used as an excuse when you're one and two, but I think that the running backs, the receivers and the quarterback, I think all three position groups I expect or I anticipate can get better throughout the season. I think you can find some timing, some chemistry, um, some comfort level, maybe you can build some confidence. So, yeah, I think to me, the most, fixable of the big problems is probably the run game. I don't have great evidence because he didn't have a great game today. Feel like maybe it's time to take the training wheels off Blake Corum, get him a higher snap count, get him some more carries. I'm, I'm sure that's a tricky thing for Michigan to do because they've been spreading the ball around and, and everyone's looked equally um, not very good running the football. Uh, you know, Hassan Haskins being the best, but maybe, maybe Blake Corum becomes your number two. As as much as um, Chris Evans and Zach Charbonnet are are favorites in the locker room and with the team, practice warriors. Uh, you know, it just seems like Corum. The I, I'm up in the sky, right? I'm up in the press box, but seems like his feet just move a little bit quicker. I think he's got got a decent instinct at, at finding where the hole's about to be. Um, 
And you're already kind of in a rebuilding season anyways now, right? So like him, AJ Henning, who was targeted three times today with no catches, but not short game though. Weirdly enough, it was all like down yeah. the field stuff. That was the one that was an interesting little subplot to me today too, was I've been harping on them getting Henning the ball, but did not expect him to get three 20 plus yard targets down the field today. I thought they'd give him the ball in the short game and let him kind of do his thing. Cause I think he's similar to Corum, you know, in that he knows where to go and he's very quick at getting to where he needs to go as well. So yeah, it was kind of funny. Did the announcers, this doesn't have to be a long, did the announcers say anything about Michigan's lack of spread approach? Not specifically, okay. but it was, of course it was noticeable when they did spread the ball out. That's when they, I mean, that's when they scored. Right. It um, just seemed, it seemed weird because like you think about like the Minnesota game seemed like there was such a, almost too much emphasis on spread concepts and, and also specifically to like short game and you're almost like, well, should they take some, you know, more traditional seven step drop deep shot downfield type plays. But well, we said uh, they should, we said they should go downfield today and, and, and they did. They, yeah. And they did. And it was, I almost just wonder if uh, it just seemed like they had a, a few drives where they just did nothing in the first half. And I wonder if they could have, been a little bit more spread out, use that speed. Anyway, um, probably something I would rather watch, rewatch the game to get a to get a better sense of. But we're going to hit a break on the other side. Temperature check for some hot seats in Michigan's coaching staff. We're going to hear a word from our sponsors. We'll be back in a moment. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Hey, thanks for waiting. Welcome back. So new feature since we did it last week and now we're doing it again. And if Michigan loses next week, we'll do it again next week. Uh, but let's do a one to 10. We'll be the thermometers. How hot? We'll do some. You can specify whether it should or is because in reality, Michigan Historically, very slow moving when it comes to firing coaches. I they they really are not. It seems like some programs are. It seems like every two years they're firing someone mid season. Uh, Michigan is not really one of those programs. But for Jim Harbaugh, Josh Gaddis, Don Brown, we can start with Don Brown. I th- I gotta think you're in agreement with me that he's got the hottest seat of the three. Um, as far as his temp his seat temperature. 
it's got to be a nine or a 10, right? I don't know. What, what do you have him at? Yeah, I mean, I I said last week that I thought, you know, that maybe it was time to move on. And, and today's performance didn't really do much to kind of change my mind, I suppose. I think the biggest thing to me is like, so the fans out there is like, okay, you want them to play zone. And they did today. And you saw what happened, hmm. you know, I mean, there was a couple plays there and it, it really, a lot of it turned into like, it was the dump off stuff, but really that was some of the stuff that was most damaging. Cause it was drive drive extending plays on like third and long. You know, I think there were a couple little drop-offs to CB Scott right in the middle where there was nobody within six, seven yards of him, Michigan playing like a deep zone. And, uh, you know, yeah. And again, we, we've pointed out there are definitely some personnel issues there, but at the same time, a lot of that has to kind of come back on, you know, on, on Brown himself, the type of player they've recruited at cornerback. Uh, not so much about the attrition they've had up front, because as we talked about before, and again, that could be a whole different episode, but you know, the 17 defensive line class, I think, is is turning into a situation that is going to mirror the 13 offensive line class where mm-hmm. it's just crippled Michigan, you know, and the hope you got to hope if you're Michigan, it doesn't cripple you for as long as that 13 off- offensive line class did, because it took legitimately took the program five, six years to completely recover from how horrible that class turned out. We're seeing Jeter get playing time, honestly, to me, not doing a ton with it. Uh, Luigi Villain played sparingly today and made little to no impact on the game. That group is looking from top to bottom, looking like a complete bust outside of Quiddy pay. So mm-hmm. um, some of those guys recruited before Don Brown was here. I want to say, or I don't, I can't really, I can't even remember when he was hired, but he was here, but for he that, was hired he? before the 2016. Yeah. Season. So, okay. So he, re- you know, but you never know which players. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of those guys that were starting to be recruited before, probably before Don Brown was even hired. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's somebody's got to answer, I guess, is the best way. And, and it just Michigan can't, they're not stopping the run. Like I said, Stevie Scott had his most productive game today for Indiana. You know, it's one thing we knew that Phoenix was going to get his, we knew that Fillier was going to get his today regardless quietly quietly failure actually not an not amazing as, game yes he, he actually was under by half a yard in that over under oh no was and he <laughs> and he only so he had 11 catches for 79 yards but it took him 21 targets to get there sure oh wow so realize he had 21 targets that's a it's gonna be like a record <laughs> yeah that's a burbridge that's like a burbridge number exactly yeah. yeah so half of Penix's uh 20 incompletions wow. were on attempts to fill here so okay. quietly not an efficient day for him ty sure. freifogel though seven catches on 10 targets for 142 yards and a touchdown so but i go back to yeah i go back to a little bit to recruiting but also again i go back to the first thing we talked about the the offside stuff. And it's just like, that's just like, that's just, it's gotta be, it's coaching at the end of the day. That's that stuff's inexcusable. And it's his, that's his unit, you know? And so did nothing to kind of change my mind, I suppose, coming off of Michigan state again here, I would say this though. It's like, 
I think Indiana is actually a much better football team than Michigan State is, right? I, I, mm-hmm. I'm i not sitting here shocked that Indiana was able to move the football as much as I was last week. But still, um, no rebound performance. Still think Michigan's lies like Josh Ross has kind of really struggled as well. I haven't talked much a lot about that. He has not looked comfortable. I thought McGrone played better today than he did against Michigan State. Um, but still, just as if from a unit from the top down, you know, it's it's weird. I guess I'd say this. This is what's kind of odd about the whole Don Brown thing is like it feels like that like the refs, like it feels like they're everyone's on to the scheme almost. Whereas like Michigan's yeah. not getting any benefit of the doubt with sort of and we know anybody who's watched Michigan football for the last three, four, or five years or whatever, they've always been pretty handsy on the outside. It's just it's you know, it's like the uh, the Cassius Winston off arm thing, hmm. you know, in the lane that you just always get away with. You know, the, they're not getting the benefit of the doubt with those anymore. And now it looks like Michigan's completely exposed defensively because they're not getting any of those. And, you know, it kind of makes us like, OK, well. Now what? You know, and so I, I, I Brown, though, it's got to be hot still. I mean, it's got to be really hot. It's just hottest of the three bar none yeah yeah i agree i think it's um just my as a as a believer in logic and things that make sense i feel like it's more of a when not an if for don brown in his last five games well michigan's last five games including four losses michigan has allowed 36 points per game 458.4 yards per game and 300.2 passing yards per game. I when when in Don Brown's first season, they didn't allow any of those numbers once. And so for a long time, for a couple years, Michigan was just one of the best defenses in the country, period. And then the last two years, they were a usually pretty stout defense that struggled against particular teams. Well, now they're struggling against everybody. I mean, I I get, I don't know enough about, I didn't watch the Michigan state Iowa game. I don't know what happened. Michigan state scored seven points. You know, Indiana. Yes. They beat Penn state. Yes. They beat Rutgers, but they were not lighting it up offensively, especially against Penn state. That was kind of a game where they somehow got to 36 points in spite of their offensive struggles. And I mean, yeah, you know, Penix throws for a career high 342 yards. Uh, Definitely had to throw a lot to get there, I guess, but I didn't think, I thought he had some, I don't know. I felt like that was a little bit on Indiana. Uh, in addition to being a little bit on Michigan, just seemed like maybe not as many huge plays, but another game where it just seemed like every time <laughs> Indiana was in third down and like nine, they just got a big play. Um, they had nine passing plays of 15 yards or more, three rushes of 10 yards or more. So, yeah, it's just um, 
I don't know. What's his, what's, what's his calling card? That yeah. should always be, if you're Michigan, that should always be a question you're asking, especially the higher up the chain you are, head coach, coordinator, and then kind of some of the higher touted assistants. What does blank coach do best? And if you can't answer the question or the question is something that 50 other coaches are doing right now, the justification for, you know, such a high salary for such a high influence on the program. Yeah. It makes it, it makes it hard to admit, imagine 12 months from now that Don Brown is still defensive coordinator. Just, I mean, even, even with Michigan being slow moving with coaching changes, sometimes, uh, I don't know. I think if, if Michigan went through a whole season giving up 36 points a game, 458 yards per game and 300 passing yards a game, I don't think anybody would say the defensive coordinator should stick around. Even in, even in 2020, even with offenses as high flying as ever, I feel like those numbers, five games is a trend one or two. Okay. Five games is a trend. His hot, his temperature is going to be at a nine or 10 out of 10, you know, both should and is really can't imagine that, that, that a change isn't made in the next two and a half months, but I guess we'll see. I agree. Yeah. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, what's his temperature at? What should it be at? Uh, I mean, are we on a one to ten? Uh, it's like uh, I'd say warm, squarely warm, moving towards hot, I suppose. Um, like a seven? Yeah, probably. I'd still, again, my whole eyes. I just, I don't see Michigan ever flat out like firing him. I, I don't, you know, and. Unless, unless this completely spirals out of control. I mean, you know, unless they get throttled. If you start, if you lose to Maryland or Rutgers, regardless of Maryland, like beating Penn State today or whatever. um, I just don't, you know, feel like it would be an amicable split, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and. So that's what makes it kind of weird. And the thing is, is the whole contract deal has just it. This is turning into like a worst case scenario for Michigan because you you couldn't you couldn't really like right now you couldn't justify like a long term extension. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And so, yeah, they need him to win a couple games. That's (laughs) that's the thing is, but. especially you started talking about recruiting. They're going to get hammered on the trail. Yeah. About the fact that this is the last year of his contract and they're one and two and that every off season, there's been NFL teams that have at least been interested. They're going to get absolutely destroyed on the recruiting trail over this. And yeah, so, imagine, imagine having to fend off negative recruiting for, Oh, Jim wants to go to the NFL. Oh, Jim's oh. on the hot seat. Yeah. And like, oh, Jim's contract isn't renewed. Yeah. I mean, that's what I mean. And so, like, it's one of those things where, like, I understand, like, I've res- I respected the fact that he never made his contract situation a big deal because I think it was just assumed that they would just get it taken care of at some point. Right. I, I he was not a guy to make that a big talking point or whatever. 
but now it's starting it's going to end up it's going to bite them big time because now they're Michigan's in a really precarious position because you know they're the best I mean to me I think it's the best case is in this I mean it's the best case anyway but like they have to win some games to get this figure to figure out what's the best course of action from here on out um but yeah it's I, I don't know I'd say like a 6 or a 7 you know, there's been some, it's, it's clear that, and this is where it gets kind of weird. You know, the 17 class is what might be his undoing and how badly that class has ended up being from top to bottom. McCaffrey's gone now. Tariq Black's gone. Filiaga doesn't really look like he's panned out up front. He's one of like, what, five starters? That's it. From right. that class. Right. Because yeah. that's what we talked about this. That's what we talked about in the preseason was there were only like a handful of guys left that could even salvage, you know, anything. Yeah. I think it's like 10 out of 30. Yeah. Collins and Thomas opt out, which whatever, that's not a negative on them, just more about what they've actually done in a Michigan uniform. Mm -hmm. Um, And then like all the attrition they've had early on, and it put a lot of pressure on the 18 class. And so far those guys haven't answered it you know, from top to bottom so far. I think there's some really, really good players in that class. I think that's the bulk of where the production is coming from. The ironic thing is, this is just me talking, not saying what's going to happen or anything. I do feel like their last two classes have been way, way better and have potential to maybe actually get Michigan on track. I just feel like it might be too little too late in that regard. So um, well, and and my only thing with that, because I actually agree with you, I've been very impressed with, and I'd throw the 2018, 18, 19, 20, but what, what is the group ceiling? And that's a question that I'm, I'm starting to wonder because it's one thing to be a starter. It's one thing to be, you know, to have a Ronnie Bell who's really productive, but is the group going to get Michigan where where it needs to go in terms of program expectations. You know, I, that's, that's where I'm kind of like, okay, you know, there are, there are players who are starting and that are young, but they're also showing some limitations. Right. And so you're basically putting yourself in a position where you got to bat like 800 to, to produce at the level that, to make up for maybe well, and yeah and that's the thing you go back to that like we already talked about the 17 d line class you could argue that that 13 o line class is what caught cost brady hoke his job why should it be any different regardless of the reasons for the attrition in the first place that's not the point the point is these were the guys that michigan recruited and chose wanted to be a part of their class they're not panning out we're like seeing- we put a lot of pressure on chris hinton sorry to interrupt you yeah, you put a lot of pressure on Chris Hinton earlier in this episode. Well, maybe there isn't as much pressure if they have more from that defensive line class. I mean, that's think, a, that's a think, good point. About, think about it. Like I said, Jeter has played okay, but it's it's his he's to me. I'm kind of comparing Jeter now to like Pat Kugler. You know, as far as like they are starting late in their career, but never it's still never really turned out to what maybe you thought you were what you were getting when you recruited them but you have guys like 
we talk about uh, Duran Irving Bay, James Hudson, Phil Paya, who to my knowledge, I don't think has still seen the field this year at all, right? I mean, I don't think he's played. I don't even think he's been on the participation chart, right? I'll, I'll look. You keep going. Yeah. And uh, Corey Malone Hatcher, whatever. But um, But even then, heck, if even two of those guys pan out, Take Jeter away because Jeter's actually on the roster and is playing. But two of these other guys pan out and pl- or play up to their recruiting ranking. You know, all of a sudden Michigan's got two more guys, like potential senior-ish level, like leaders that are up front and likely in, pretty much all those guys probably projected the middle at some point. Hudson, uh, Irving Bay for sure. You know, so it's, it's obvious now it's hurting them big time. But my thing is, is like, regardless of the reasoning for the attrition behind it, the coach at the coach who's running the program has that's it's their responsibility. They're the ones that have to answer for those misses at some point, you know? And so hope got canned because Michigan couldn't block anybody. I mean, it's not the only reason, but I mean, that's the offensive line for Michigan was horrible for years. Mm-hmm. And that was the pro- one of the primary reasons. Just, you know, my thing is like Harbaugh's had a great track record everywhere else he's gone. But that to me, that doesn't mean he should be held to a different standard necessarily at this by the time we're in the sixth year of his tenure at Michigan. Don't think that he should be held to like such a higher standard that he shouldn't have to answer for some of these glaring shortcomings on Michigan's roster at this point. Yeah. Yeah, by the way, Philip Pay has played in two games in his career, both in 2018. Um, yeah, to me, I think, again, thinking should versus is, maybe in that seven, and I think every loss the rest of the way might increase him by by one, at least in the eyes of the fans, and I, I don't blame them. You know, I think I, I talked about a moment ago the question I often ask when it term, comes to a coach doing something you know what's their calling card michigan is six years in again you can do the year six whatever you want to do what does michigan do better than anybody else right now or better than say 90 percent of the country what are they a top 10 team at nothing i can't think of a thing no i mean maybe like off-field experiences right and i don't mean that to like take away from the value of that but in terms of why jim harbaugh is paid at a top five level and michigan doesn't have an identity of anything anything good i should say um just just hard to hard to necessarily justify say as you mentioned kind of an extension they're in a situation where what are they extending him for not to say they got to fire him at the airport right now i i think he's in my mind i i think he's probably earned the right to finish out the season but he's got to win some games that not very many people are expecting them to win i think that's the situation that he's in right now um clearly made michigan better 
but at the end of the day, there there's no calling card. There's no ah, uh, see, Jim, you know, they're struggling in this part, this part, this part, but they they got this. And when he was at San Francisco, they had calling cards. When he was at Stanford, he had calling cards. I don't know. I didn't follow his time at San Diego enough. Um, guessing since the wins were there, they probably did something better than all of their opponents. So, yeah, I think it's, to me, it's kind of in that seven. It's like a seven with like the quivering needle about to head up a notch if they struggle against Wisconsin. Because Question, the, question oh, go for ahead. you. Does he look defeated too? Uh, I I know what you're I know what you mean. Um, I look at I look at him and it, to me, right now 2020, and then I I think I saw a video earlier on Twitter of his like opening press conference after he got hired, and it kind of reminds me of when you see like a president when they first go into office hmm. compared to when they like leave office, how different they look. And like it kind of like a weird way, it kind of reminded me of that. And like, I'm not trying to make any grand claims or assumptions here, but like, man, it just he does look like a totally different person. That that I feel for sure. Just you can just see it by looking at him physically. But um, you know, I just I just I don't know. It's just a I didn't think we'd be here. You know, at this point, it's just a it's just a bizarre situation, I suppose, from top to bottom. So, yeah, yeah, I think I mean, you could be right. My thing, I've I've kind of taken my foot off the gas for the like, you know, I know fans call for like the old Harbaugh back or whatever. Like, unless you're in practice and unless you were you were in practice at the beginning and you're in practice now, you don't know. One thing I will notice will not I'm not there. By the way, real quick, just oh, sure. not, I am not the uh, hey, he needs to be like hooting and hollering and throwing stuff on the on the ground. Like that's not what I'm getting. I just literally just uh, looking at him. Just I mean, he just looks like a totally literally just looks like a totally different person than he did when they got when he got hired. You know, it's just I don't know. One thing that I will note before we move on, I remember in 2016. And, and 2017 and a little bit of 2018 players would talk about like they wouldn't use the word magic but they would be like oh don brown's gonna have you know he's all about the blitzes he's all about this he's all about this and they'd be like oh jim harbaugh he's all about this he's all about this he's all about this uh, you don't really hear that anymore and maybe that's the coaches taking more of a passive role and letting it be a player run team but that's something i'm keeping an eye on this week is um, how do the players talk about the coaches? You know, because that might tell you a little bit about just how warm those seats feel inside Schembechler Hall. But um, final temperature check, Josh Gaddis, probably not as hot. He hasn't been around as long. It's not year five or year six. Same time, Steve. I'm I'm looking through Michigan's um, last season and change. You know, they had 21 points today. That's not enough to win in 2020. 23 points, 24 points last week. Probably not enough to win. I, I guess you could say Michigan, Michigan State's always a little bit low scoring. You know, Minnesota was a good game, but ultimately 
so far in, in Josh Gaddis's 15, 16 games in, in the big ones against the good defenses, his seat is, can't be room temperature just because it seems like they've had some misfires. I don't know. You can, you can go first, but, but temperature on Josh Gaddis's seat? Uh, like mid. Not much higher than room temperature. Again, I, I said this in the our main Slack chat between all the guys on staff today. I was like, again, for the second straight week, I, I, I guess, well, last week maybe more so. This week, I didn't think he called that bad of a game, honestly. Especially, I tend to agree. Especially considering the fact that whether it's uh, the O-line or whatever, is that Michigan was not generating anything in the run. Uh, well, this, hold on. Yeah. Offensive coordinator, though. So he has to generate the run. Well, right. Sure. But I mean, I know what you mean. I, 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 and ironically enough, and that was one of the big things going around social media today was that Iowa attacked the edge all day against Michigan State today, which where that was the huge criticism last week was that Michigan, for some reason, refused to attack the edge consistently against Michigan State's defense. So, I, I yeah, I agree that the OC obviously is a huge part of them being able to generate. I mean, let's be real, though. At some point, the loss, not having Mayfield and Hayes, has to hurt Michigan offensively in some capacity, right? I mean, it's yeah, nice yeah you're not, making, right. not making excuses here. Just saying, like, your two best offensive linemen are out. It's going to have some impact on how you perform. And I thought all things – considered i thought the one thing gaddis at least from my standpoint has seemed to have done consistently since he's been at michigan is create open receivers on a consistent basis it's been a matter of having a quarterback that could hit them so it's a kind of a weird dynamic where i'm not i'm still not too down on milton but at the same time you didn't take much to see that michigan probably left at least a couple touchdowns out there that were wide open. I mean, even go back to the first drive was almost an interception on third down to Cornelius Johnson wide open, Mm -hmm. you know, and I just, I felt like there were a lot of instances today where there were open receivers created. Haven't gone back to watch the run game to see if they were missing cuts too. I mean, that's always a possibility. Don't think there'd be a ton there because they kind of just abandoned the run eventually, but He's, I mean, he's definitely the lowest of the three. Not, yes. not that you yeah. would get rid of your head coach in DC and that your OC would just stick <laughs> around, but You're just right. from a job standpoint, I think his his seat has to be the lowest. But also, yes, like you said, partially just because he hasn't been there as long, so there's not like a a track record. And again, this isn't an excuse, but this is just a fact: is that there's ten new starters. On the unit, and yes, I I, I I totally understand that we're part of the uh I don't I don't want to say the hype machine. Well, I think we we, we, we ref- I can admit we underplayed uh well actually we underplayed the new starters on the offensive line. Yeah for sure. We I agree played the, the significance of that. We yep. kind of said, Oh, we still expect the line to be good. Um but yeah, it's a good point of the 12 players who touched the ball on offense today. So either carrying it, catching it, 
or throwing it or some combination of them. Of the 12 players who touched the ball, only Nick Eubanks and Chris Evans were seniors. Everyone else was either in their first, second, or third year. Yeah. So you know. that's a reason. That's not an excuse. That's yeah, a reason. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. I, that's a, and again, not saying that not making an excuse that Michigan didn't put more points on the board, just speaking strictly as far as the offensive coordinators hot seat is concerned. Is this a guy working with 10 new starters this year? So it just, it, it lessens the pressure as far as if in the big picture, as far as sounds like you and I are both are concerned, you know, as far as like, should his, his seat be hot or not, not saying that mm-hmm. he's performed the task admirably so far, but I think all things considered, I, I think what I'm getting at is that I think the players have left some points on the board this year that he, I thought, did a good job of creating opportunities with. Yeah, he's kind of a, at worst, he's a stay tuned, right? Like, yep. you know, yep. you're going to have to see how the season goes. And yeah, if you're two years in and he's still, I mean, he's in a situation where they're putting up. 24 points against teams like Michigan state 21 points against a team like Indiana. Yeah. You start, I mean, you probably do start to wonder, okay, could someone else put up more points? Cause at the end of the day, that's what matters. I, it was really funny talking to Cornelius Johnson today and like asking, like, is it a mental thing? Is it a physical thing? He's like, at the end of the day, we just have to score points. It doesn't really matter whether it's mental or physical, just, just score points have to outscore the other team. And that's that's what it is. I kind of like that simple. I was gonna say I can I can like <laughs> that is right up my wheelhouse. That's what I would say <laughs> if I was in this position. But yeah, looking at his 16 games, I, I think I think Gaddis is about 500 in offense, producing to what it's capable of, and and not. Uh, and you could probably take out those first few games because there was a lot of newness. But um, I think with that. We have an air it out segment if you want to do it. Is there anything else that's irking you <laughs> heading into the Wisconsin game? We'll, we'll have another, we'll have three podcasts this week, but anything that's sticking out to you from this game? Hard to believe that, that this is where we're at, I guess, as far as covering the team is you yeah. know, just that how this has turned out. I, I, I think, you know, when I was on the 24-7, the national show a couple weeks ago, and I said that I think from our standpoint and covering, I think even a couple of years ago, I think we realized that we may have gone too far in just assuming that Harbaugh was going to not just bring Michigan back, but maybe match Ohio State, you know, bring them back to like elite status so that's something that a couple of years ago it's kind of like okay this is going to either it's going to take longer than we thought it was going to take or whatever it's going to be more of an uphill battle than maybe people first realized but didn't see this coming at all i mean you you're talking about a guy who you know obviously the you know turned around stanford turned on the niners and the thing i always go back to this is to me is like looking back is like crazy now that this is where the program is at or this is what this has turned into is it was the harbaugh is a guy that john madden said did the best coaching job in nfl history the year he took the san francisco 49ers to the super bowl 
that's the guy that Michigan was getting when they brought him on board. You know, it was not just a hmm. guy who's like a great and people can look that up. It's I think it's pretty easy to find, but that was an exact quote from John Madden. He thought that Harbaugh did the best coaching job in NFL history. I think it was the year that Alex Smith got hurt with Kaepernick and stuff, and they went to the Super Bowl. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah. And so you – and now you see – and again, it was like what was the stat about what their, what their record has been since the 2016 Ohio State game, right? It's been – Oh, not, yeah, I think I had that one. 28 it's, and 16 or something. Keep talking. I'll, I'll pull it up. Yeah, right? it's like something not that far off of 500. And man, we're at the point. Not as far off as you would think. Right. And we're at the point now where it's like, it's crazy. It's like, those were majority, the majority, vast majority of those players were Brady hoax recruits too. You know, and it's like, it's just, it's, it is, it's, it's just very hard to believe that this is where it's at now. I, I don't think anybody at all would have ever thought that, you know, in six year, year six, regardless of the pandemic and all this other stuff going on, whatever, but that in year six, that Michigan would be enduring a stretch where they've lost four out of five games and have been, I'll be embarrassed in like what three of those games. I don't know. They just, yeah, didn't yeah. think. I mean, that, you could argue all four because, right, because State how, was supposed to be the other way. Yes. Yeah. And so I guess that's just my big thing is it's just, it's, it is. I don't care if you didn't think if you were a detra- if you've been a detractor or or not. I don't think anybody would have thought that by the sixth year that Michigan would. You could argue that they're regressing. You know, that's to me. It's yeah. it was unfathomable that that is what's taking place. And <laughs> you know, as a Michigan fans, just most jaded group in college football it's not going to change anytime soon with the way this is going because if the my thought was when this that when this happened when the hire was made it's as if this doesn't work out then i think michigan fans are going to lose all hope or any hope you know that they had to get because hmm. like i said at the time harbaugh was supposed to be one of the legitimately one of the four or five best coaches in, in all of football you know, you yeah. had other NFL yeah, which, teams, which honestly, looking back, I mean, might have been an oversell, but you're absolutely right. That was, it was probably top 10, though. You got to think like, yeah. Oh, I know where he was ranked. Right, I know everyone right. ranked him really high. Right. But like, in if you think about like what he accomplished, I don't know. I think that might have been people projecting a little bit, but sure. still, sure. Still, you still see, though, the 28 and 16 since. Yeah, so that's yeah, that's right. That's the twenty and four start. Not, not good. Um, you know, I, I just yeah, and now I'm more interested than ever to see how this pans out, how this turns out because it's going to be really hard to keep these kids their minds on, you know, keep things on the ball from a week to week basis. Um, you know. Especially, really, if if we'll see what happens with next week's game, right? I mean, that you know that. Well, that was my fifth takeaway from yeah, this game so. was that this this next week's going to tell us what we need to know, and maybe it doesn't determine every single answer. But if if Jim Harbaugh's got 
a little extra oomph in the tank, it's probably got to show up now. And if the players want to talk to Doc about the togetherness, uh, do something now. I mean, you know, probably probably last week was the week to do it, but right. but now this is this is a little bit more of a rock bottom, and and so it can be one of two things: it's either rock bottom for Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, or it's the beginning of the end. College football is a very brutal world in that way, where a coach who, I mean, you can it's happened before, coaches who are beloved, you know, about ready to have a statue on campus, and within weeks they're out of a job. Or they're off to, to a new job. Yeah. Hard to it's believe, just, right? But think that's about, just how it goes with recruiting his, with the players. Yeah. Sorry. Think about his legacy at Michigan in general before he took this job. It's kind of the risk, I guess, you take in this profession. Yeah. It's like, don't meet your heroes. Don't. A little bit, right? <laughs> it's like, that's kind of, you know, it's like you wondered. I don't think it's quite the same because it's a little bit different. But you think of the way, you know, like Iserman, like running the, the wings now, it's like, a big risk you know Mm -hmm. it's like these are guys that yeah like harbaugh is beloved at michigan before he took the job and now with everything he did for the university as a player and all this you know it's like now it's like people are calling for him to get fired and they hate him and so just a it's a fascinating aspect you know with, with that just in that little context of a former great coming in to try to save the program and everybody assuming that he was going to do it yeah it's like like is it the climb to get there now it looks like it's steeper than it was the day he got hired really if we're being honest yeah okay so my air it out i'm gonna make it short because this has been a long long episode and for those that don't know i covered the game drove home from bloomington and then recorded it so it's it's been a long day for me but um really the one thing i was thinking about the most on the drive home is it it's time for michigan to admit when it isn't doing something well. I think that this is a very, it might be worth its own story. There might be something coming. We'll see if I can put one together, but I've, I'm really struck by how Michigan. And again, press conferences, some people put zero stock into them. I'm a reporter. I put stock into it. That's, that's your public statement on the state of the program. And the way Michigan just diminishes every shortcoming as if like it didn't happen. Or, I mean, I thought, I think back to like when Michigan had that narrow victory over army last year and they're like, army is a top 25 team. You know, that might be the only game they lose all season. And it just seems like there's a lot of rationalizing, a lot of justification for shortcomings. And then you hear in the, the off season and, Again, we we write what we're told, whether it's in press conferences or elsewhere. But this season would look a lot different if Michigan was like, you know what? There's just this offense just isn't ready. The secondary uh, is really missing Ambry Thomas. You know, it's it's going to be rough, but but we're going to try our best. Like if they had quotes like that before the season, yeah, fans would be a little annoyed, but they wouldn't be as annoyed now. I think it's this. The you know, Michigan really just sets the bar for itself so high. And I, I don't know if that's if every program does that, but unless you can back it up, stop selling everybody on on you know this constant hope and optimism. I know you kind of have to to an extent. You don't want to 
you don't want to dog your players, but it's, it's very, just the more I think about it, the more I like look back at the off season stories and, and even the post game press conferences from these two losses. It's like, it's okay to admit that you got punked. It's okay to admit that something didn't work. So maybe, maybe that's just the reporter in me wanting a little bit more transparency, but it's to me, that's a perplexing subplot of this is like, if Michigan goes two and seven this year, will they even admit that they went two and seven this year? Or will they just say that so many top 25 teams beat them or, you know, something, some they'll, they'll come up with something else to say. So um, eventually it just comes down to the results. You know, you can, you can say compare X player to this guy and say this player is going to step in fine. And um, you know, this player might be going that's now on the verge of being benched might be have five months ago. You said he was on the verge of leaving early for the NFL. It's uh, Michigan's in a very interesting spot. I'm with, I'm with you, Steve going to be this week is going to be interesting, whether it works for Michigan or doesn't, whether they have a, you know, upset victory in them or they don't um, going to be a revealing week, I think. So we'll be there for all of it. We'll have podcasts with, uh, you know, hearing more from the players and the coaches, a little bit of a state of the program special. This one similar to that. Um, and then we'll obviously preview the Michigan Wisconsin game too. lots of stuff coming over at the Michigan insider.com Michigan 24 seven sports.com. If you like the podcast, thank you for listening this far in, by the way, uh, I imagine if you're still listening, you like it a little bit, but <laughs> throw us a rating, uh, share it with your friends. Feel free to subscribe. We got recruiting podcast, basketball podcast coming as well. Uh, for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24 seven podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time. The wait is over. The shy returns with new episodes on Paramount plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down. A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.